with all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Forget not his benefits. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us now at this preaching moment to lift up our heads to you, for truly our help comes from you. I pray that you would help me as your servant, as the one whom you have called this morning to deliver your word, to look to you and to your power and your grace to transform your people. I pray for these, your listeners, that you would allow them to hear today what you have for them. I pray, Father God, for that person who has a bowed down head, who is not looking to the hills this morning, that you would cause them to lift up their heads and to look to that great hill Calvary, that place where man was at his worst, but you were at your best. Reconciling the world to yourself through the blood of your son, Father God. Help us to look to that hill and to look to your tomb and to look unto heaven where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us as his blood cries out for us. Help us, dear God. Help us to see you move us out of the way. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And the awesome, majestic, wonderful, marvelous name of Jesus. Satan, you have no power, no authority here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, greetings once again. My name is Jamal Williams, and I am one of the pastors here at Forest. And uh, again, we're delighted uh, to be with you. We are in the midst of a series uh, that we're calling our vision series. Our vision series. And what this series is and what we've been doing is painting a vision of who we believe the Lord has called the church to be. That is the global church, the church that is spread all over this world, who God is calling the church to be, who we are in Christ, but also who God has called us as a local church to be. So we're contextualizing it. We're looking at the Bible saying, what does the Bible say? And who does the Bible say that we are as the people of God, as his bride, as his church? And then we're saying, how do we contextualize that? What does that look like for Forest Baptist Church, which is nestled in the Petersburg, Newburgh area inside of Louisville? What does that look like practically? And the reason we're going through a vision series is because I, I don't believe we get to the destination we want to get by accident. Just like if we were going to take a journey or a road trip, we would look up uh, the address and map quest it or put it in our GPSs and we will be intentional to get where we're going. In the same way as the church, as God's people, we're not going to end up being godly and end up looking like Jesus by being passive and inactive. So therefore, we are painting a picture saying, what does the Bible say that we should be, and who does the Bible say we should be, and what should we be doing? And we're looking to that together and painting that picture in order that we as a church would be faithful to our King and glorify our God, that on that great day when we meet Jesus, that we can say like Paul, my hands are clean from the blood of others. That though I was flawed and imperfect, I did all that I could do to pursue Jesus. Without a vision, just like without knowledge, as the prophet says, people perish, and without a vision, we will too. And I believe that the reason we see within the global body of Christ, and especially within the American church, I believe the reason we see so many lukewarm Christians and lukewarm churches is because we 
as leaders and pastors, have not set a clear vision of what the body of Christ should be doing and who we should be looking like. And that's, that's a generalization. Of course, there are pastors and there are churches who are doing that. But when we don't do that, what we get is a lukewarm uh, Christianity that says, come when you feel like it, do what you feel like doing, be who you feel like being, and praise Jesus when you feel like praising him, and live on your own terms. Just do better and, and do the best you can on your own terms. And that's what it means to be a church. That's what it means to be a Christian. But that's not what it says. The Bible says to, to be a believer means that you have been born again. You've experienced transformation and that you are, are pursuing your, your Savior because you've been overwhelmed with his grace. And then God makes and shows us that a Christian is a person who is pursuing obedience under the lordship of Jesus and they're marked by certain attributes. So when we talk about the local church, because that's what we've been talking about, is within our vision series, the first part of our vision series is looking at the flourishing church or the flourishing member. And we've been looking at what does it mean to be an individual member of a local church, okay? And there's this, this misconception that when you join a church and you, and you become a part of a church, it's a, like, a lot like joining a fitness club. Right? You pay a small monthly fee, and you kind of come and go as you please, and you're on your own workout plan, and that's how it looks. But the Bible paints a different picture. It doesn't paint a picture of a local fitness club, but rather it paints a picture of an embassy. Of an embassy. An embassy is a home base in a foreign land for an ambassador. It's a place where the ambassadors of a foreign land go and find shelter and refuge and accountability. We, the Bible says, we are sojourners and strangers in this world. And we are behind enemy territory. And we are called to be ambassadors of Jesus. And we are an ambassador of Jesus, meaning that we are surrendering and submitting to the king and to his kingdom. So we, joining a local church isn't just I'm joining a local church because I feel like joining or because this church can serve me. But joining a local church is more like saying I am agreeing to submit to the members of this church and the pastors of this church. I am giving this body the authority to disciple me and help me to grow to look like Jesus. So it's not like joining a fitness club. It's more like being, joining an embassy, being an ambassador. That's what it means to be a part of the Basileia Tau Theos, the kingdom of God. It means that you are submitting yourself to the lordship of Jesus and submitting yourself to each other. Paul says in Romans 15, 14, he says, I am satisfied with you, my brothers, that you are filled with goodness and knowledge and able to counsel one another. So that person to your right or to your left who is a member of this local church is a person that you want to grow in their word and to look more like Jesus because you need them to help counsel you. But instead, as I said, we have an unbiblical view of the church that says this is a local fitness club. I come in, I pay a couple bucks, and then I work out at my own pace, Right? Not losing nothing, not toning up anything, but I work out at my own pace. I get on the spiritual machines I want to get on when I want to get on it. 
And nobody better not tell me that I'm using the machine wrong because this is the way I use the machine, right? And then every new year, you make new vows about how you're going to do better this year. Ooh, it's tight, but it's right. I love y'all. Y'all love me. All right, let's dig in the word. Amen. So let's review. We were talking about the flourishing member, and we left off. We gave seven points of what it looks like to be a flourishing member. Now, I want to say that these things that we're going to go through are not necessary for salvation. So I don't want to put a law on you. And I don't want you to walk out of here discouraged saying out of the seven things or the eight things that we went over, I'm failing at all of them. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, look to his cross and to his resurrection and look to his grace. But then say, you know what? I am going to seek the face of Jesus. Jesus, help me to be a flourishing member because a flourishing member helps a church to flourish. One flourishing member helps the church to flourish more than it was. Amen? So these are not things that are necessary for salvation. Repentance in Christ and looking to his cross is necessary. Real quick, steps for a flourishing member. Number one, we talked about in order to be a flourishing member, what we expect everyone at Forest Baptist Church is you become a part of the local church the right way. We talked about the way that a person becomes a, a member of the local church the right way is first is through a salvation experience through Jesus. The church is for Christians. People have put their faith and trust in Jesus. B, you meet with the leader to talk about Jesus. So when a person wants to become a member of Forest Baptist Church, we set up a, a time where you can simply talk to a pastor or a deacon or a leader, or if you're a woman, a, a woman who is leading at the church, and all you all are doing is talking about Jesus. And, and we, the leaders, want to assess where you are so we can know how to encourage you and how to help you to grow. And if a person comes and they don't know Jesus and they don't want to know Jesus and stay the same, we encourage them to continue to come to Forest Baptist Church, but we don't give them membership until they agree with what the Bible says a Christian is. All right. C, uh, you partake in communion and baptism. D, we ask you to complete new members class. No one should join anything and then halfway through being a member or something, you, you, one day you just wake up and be like, we believe that? Right? We believe that? New membership class helps you to know exactly uh, what you're joining and what we believe as a church. Two, a flourishing member is constantly cultivating a rich devotional life. By rich devotional life, what we mean is a flourishing member is a person who is cultivating and working on a deep relationship with Jesus. They are intentionally, in their own individual time, pursuing Jesus by reading their Bible, praying, fasting, and practicing other disciplines. Because only in pursuing Jesus will we be transformed to look more like him. Three, a flourishing member has their priorities in order. Meaning that as a church, we want to teach divine priorities. We want to show, hey, this is what it looks like as a Christian. This is how we should prioritize things. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. So we want to teach you what it means to seek the kingdom of God first. That means, number one, you fear God. Develop that personal relationship. Number two, you are faithful to your family and pursuing, strengthening your family by opening up the word of God and meeting their needs. Number three, you are 
a member of the local church and, and giving yourself to the local church. Number four, you value work and working hard and, and fifth community. And we talked about the, why the local church was so important because it is, it is the, the organism. We are the people. Uh, the local church is where you're going to meet the people who are going to make you look more like Jesus. And it's also the only organism that has been called to bring salvation to the world. So when we look at that divine list, that's not necessarily in terms of time. You're going to spend more time at work than you are at church. But that is looking at affections. You are setting your affections on community and being with God's people and helping this church reach Louisville and the world. Amen. Fourth, a flourishing member joyfully attends small groups and worship services regularly. A flourishing member joyfully attends small groups. When we say small groups, we're talking about stuff like Wednesday night Bible study and what shouldn't be a small group, but unfortunately it is. <laughs> and uh, why y'all laughing? I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, Sunday school um, and, and our home Bible studies, community groups, which you'll hear more about in the upcoming weeks as we're going to... Uh, have a totally new philosophy of doing ministry, but they joyfully and regularly attend uh, these things. Not totally new, new to us. All right, fifth, flourishing members sees themselves as a servant. They see themselves as a, a servant. All right? As a Christian, we don't serve out of guilt A Christian we serve because God has made us servants because he's taken a heart of flesh and given a a, a heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. And he is making our heart to love Jesus more and more. As we look to the cross and we see how he served us, it naturally becomes more a part of us to want to serve others. So we serve others by serving in ministries in the local church, but even more so. More so than serving in the context of the local church, we serve others by being servants at home and servants outside of the local church. In the New Testament, the word servant occurs 57 times. Sometimes it refers to a person who has an official role, of course, in a household, but many times it refers to the role we are to assume as Christians. We also see the word serve in the New Testament 58 times. What does that mean? That means that God That serving really matters to God. And we're called to be servants. Six, we protect church unity. That means that we, as we look to Jesus, we keep down drama. We look to James chapter 3 and we look to the Holy Spirit to help us to tame that terrible tongue. Number seven, as a flourishing church, we seek to be a blessing to our pastors and leaders and not a hindrance. When we disagree, we do so respectfully. And we seek to obey the leadership that the Lord has given us as as this leadership is is seeking the Lord in order that we will be on mission together, in order that our preachers and pastors can preach out of joy. Amen? Amen. Well, that brings us to our eighth point, which we'll spend our time on today. The eighth point is the flourishing member gives generously Generous financial support, excuse me, to the Christian ministry. A flourishing member gives generous financial support to 
the Christian ministry. Amen. Got quiet. Amen. <laughs> no, I know that uh, talking about giving and, and finances is a, a sensitive subject and something that many of us want to grow in. And hopefully that's, this is what this sermon is going to do. Uh, Jesus uh, talked about money uh, just about more than any other subject. Um, and the reason he did that is twofold. I believe it's because money is a sensitive subject to us because we believe we own the money we have. And two, it's because where we spend our money is, is really a good uh, uh, notion and what we think about money of, of, of what is our Lord and what controls us. Okay? Uh, he talked about money more than he did heaven. It's not because heaven is less important. Heaven is more important. But he knows that many of the people whom he was ministering had money as an idol, a love of it, and it's so easy to worship it. And that's one reason that many people will not see heaven because they're not worshiping the one true sovereign God. So I want to start off just by encouraging Forest Baptist Church. If you are here this morning, uh, we're going to be transparent, and we're going to kind of put our business out on the street a little bit, and uh, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I want to start off by encouraging Forest Baptist Church, uh, because there's two specific ways that I, I see that this church has been very generous in giving and following the leadership and the vision that we, uh, that we put out. Last year, we asked members in our congregation uh, to volunteer to clean the church so that the monies paid to clean the church uh, could be saved to purchase a, a late model church van. Um, our church van is uh, kind of on its last leg, and our van drivers Sunday after Sunday, week after week drive it, and we want to make sure uh, that we give them something comfortable to drive. So we came forth to the church and we uh, brought up a new plan uh, to, 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 to put in place in order to get a van. And I want to encourage you that this Sunday will be the last Sunday that funds will be collected towards the van purchase and that the trustees will very shortly uh, uh, purchase a van. Amen. Amen. And that's a result of your uh, faithful giving week in and week out. And that's also a result of individuals at this church when we brought up this plan to get a new van who stood up and said, uh, since we do not have a, uh, a custodian right now, uh, let's take the money that we were paying that custodian and let's come down and get a team of people down here who will clean the church week in and week out. And by God's grace, God's people stood up and said, we will do it for a year. And the monies that we uh, normally put towards a custodian, which was about $12,000 a year, we saved for our van. And on top of that, members, you contributed $5,300 to our sacrificial funds. And as a result of uh, monies that we've other monies that we received, we have a total of $22,700 for a van. So, again, we are so thankful for those of you who gave both your time and your money for it. Um, that is a, a great picture of being generous uh, to the Christian mission. Christian mission. Um, also, I want to ask Brother Kevin to pull up uh, a, a graph here that I want to go through. and This is going to be a picture of our weekly giving. 
and what we uh, do, uh, kind of wh- where we're at as a church. Last year, our congregation gave a total of uh, $262,000 in tithes and offerings. Amen? Amen. And out of that 262,000, 168 members use the envelope system to give a total of 237,000 in tithes and offerings. Amen? So those of you who use the envelope system, um, we came out to a total of $237,000 that was given by the envelope system. That's 168 members. But listen to this. What we did is we used data from the 168 envelope users in order to create a congregate, uh, our congregation's giving profile. And that's what this is a picture of. We looked at the annual dollars given by members using the envelope system and divided the annual giving amount by 52 weeks to calculate weekly amounts given by our members. And this chart is revealing that profile. The bottom of the chart reveals the number of members who who give amounts weekly uh, for amounts identified on this chart. For example, 16 members gave up to $1 weekly or $50 per year. Okay, 42 members gave up to $5 weekly or $260 per year. 20 members gave up to $10 weekly or $520 per year. 20 members gave $20 per week on average for a total of $140 a year and so forth. The chart continues. So if you look at this chart, you see over here, it says that one person averaged giving about $260 a week. And what that was, was a one-time gift that that person gave to the church of a large sum, and we divided that by 12. And then if you go over, you see another person gave about $146 a week, and that was another big gift that someone that the Lord put on someone's heart to generously give, and we divided that by 12 and so on, okay? But as we look at this list and as we talk about giving, I really want to encourage the church in this way, that this chart also reveals that 50 members of the 168 members gave over $200,000, and the remaining 118 members that used the envelope system gave $37,000. So I want, I want that to sink in for a second. What that means is that 50 members are really carrying the giving load. Okay? And out of an average of 225 weekly intenders, the rest of that 67000 comes from that. Okay? Now, this is not meant to discourage you, but what that teaches me is that as a church, we need to look at, in order to be a flourishing member, what the Bible says about giving and why it's important, okay? And part of the reason I think that some generally give is because you're just strapped, and what we're going to do in looking at these principles is look at how even the person who is, is strapped for money and struggling with money can be a better steward of their money so that they can give more. But the other part of it is, is just I, I don't think that we understand um, some, some basic principles in giving. 
So let's go on a quick journey. We've got a lot of points to get to. I don't, I don't want to spend two sermons on this. I want to spend one sermon on it. And let's look at Christian principles in giving and what we need to be as an individual and as a church in order to line up our hearts with what God wants our hearts to look like with giving. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the first thing we want to look at and we need to know is that, that we need to give knowing that God owns everything. We give knowing that God owns everything. A flourishing member gives knowing that God owns everything. Job chapter 41, verse 11, the B clause of that verse says, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. This is God speaking to Job. Everything that's under heaven that is, that is good and that has been given to enjoy. That is not simple. He said, I own. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein for. He has founded upon the waters and established it upon the seas. God owns everything. God says throughout the scriptures, I can take you to about six others that say the same exact thing. God says, everything under heaven belongs to me. The car that you drive, that I drive, that we call our car, According to God, God says, no, that's my car. The home that you live in, that you say is my home, God says, no, that's my home. In fact, most likely, before you called it your home, your dwelling place, someone else called it their home and their dwelling place. And God looks at them and says, that wasn't yours either, that's mine. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness, everything in it, thereof. The Bible says that we don't own anything, that God has merely made us stewards over what we have, but we don't own it. A steward is a biblical term that is similar to what we would call today a manager. A steward is a person who is paid to look after the property of someone else. So a steward is a person who recognizes that what they have been given, it is not theirs, but rather they are to take care of what they have been given for God. That's what it means to be a steward. In the same way God has made you a steward of what he has given you, not just financially, but anything in your life. Your children, you don't own your children. God owns your children. And let me, let me, let me help the youth to smile for a brief second, Okay. When we say, I t brought you in the world and I'll take you out, that's not really true. God brought them in the world, and God's going to take them out. But I know what you mean, and I'm probably going to use it too, amen? For my terrorists, I mean my children. But the fact of the matter is, is that God owns everything. Every single thing. Just like Joseph was a steward over Potiphar's house, and Jacob was a steward over Levin's sheep, so we are stewards over what God has given us. And the question that we must ask ourselves with everything that God has given is not how can we use this for our personal gain or advantage, but how can we use what God has given us for his glory and his advantage? So today, as we give, we do not want to simply ask the question, how much of my money am I going to give to this church? But rather, the question that we should be asking is, how much of God's money am I going to give back to God? Next, we give from a heart filled with grace and not guilt. We give with a heart filled with grace and not guilt. 
I don't want to guilt you into giving because this is, this is not a, 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 a law. And I don't want to put a law on you, but rather I want to show you that a generous heart comes from seeing the generosity of God. It's not by someone beating you over the head and making you guilty. In fact, if that's the reason you give, I give you three weeks before that guilt plays off and before you're back to giving the amount that you were given. No, grace motivates giving. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So we don't give because someone made us give. We give because we see the grace that is in God's, that, that God has given us. We give from a heart full of grace, full of grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 12, I'm going to be referring to this passage a lot. I want you to go home and read it in its entirety and its context. Paul is encouraging the church of Corinth by uh, boasting about or pointing out to them the example of the churches in Macedonia, which was a large reason, that's churches in Philippi and other areas. And he is motivating them, letting them know that this church has given uh, from a heart that has been motivated by grace. Look at what he says in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. The grace of God. What is God's grace? It is his salvific favor. It is his unmerited favor given to us as we uh, look to the cross by faith. It's what we can't deserve. The grace of God has been demonstrated in the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overwhelmed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So he's saying this, this poor group of people, this poor church, they begged us to partake in an offering that was going to go back to Jerusalem because the church of Jerusalem was suffering. They begged us, even though they were poor and even though they were afflicted, he said, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it, but God's grace moved on them to the point that they begged us to give. And they gave a lot. Why? Because they saw that God gave to them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. True love gives. And this, the way that God gave to them, they said, wait a minute, all that we have belongs to God, and we want to give it back to God. Because I've received love, I want to give it back to him. Grace motivated their giving. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, Jesus tells us, don't let other people seeing you give motivate you to give, but rather you give in secret, and your heavenly Father will bless you. So we don't want to give in order to be appreciated by others. We want to give simply from a heart that says, God, I appreciate you. All that I have is from you, and I will be nothing without you. Who do I have in heaven besides you? Next, give as an act of worship. Give as an act of worship. Give as an act of worship. Philippians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. 
Listen to this. This is, this is something. Paul talking, talking to the church of Philippi. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Talking to the church. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Whereas when you give, it's, it's fruit, he says, that you're growing in Christ. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epiditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So look at the words that Paul uses to speak of the church that Philippi is giving. He said, it is a fragrant offering. It is a sacrifice accepting to God. In Genesis chapter 8, you don't have to turn there. You can just listen. In Genesis chapter 8, we see Noah, and, and we read these words. And it says, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 and 21, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma... The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground. So notice how, how the Bible used that term, pleasing aroma. When in the Old Testament, constantly, uh, the writers uh, are using these terms that Paul uses to speak of financial gifts. So when they were making sacrifices, that was an act of worship. In the same way, when we give, Paul says that is an act of worship. It's a sacrifice acceptable. It is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. When we think of worshiping God, we often think of singing and praying and listening to preaching. But the Bible says that giving is an act of worship. What does it mean to worship? To worship means to give supreme worth to someone or something. When we give financially, we are saying, God, you are supremely worth. You are worth the, the money that you've given me. This brings us to our next point. Give according to your means. Give according to your means. Give according to your means. Going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You guys with me? We're moving pretty good, right? All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. Paul, again, talking to the church of, of Macedonia, and he says this, verse 3, for they gave according to their means. That means they gave as they were able to give. God does not want you to be broke and busted and disgusted because every Sunday you are giving everything you have, all right? God doesn't want that. Some prosperity preachers may want that. God doesn't want that, and we doesn't want that. Preachers who say that you earn God's favor by giving him money. No, we can't earn God's favor. God's favor is given to us by only one act and one person, and that's Jesus Christ on the cross. Give according to your means. Paul told Timothy that a man who doesn't provide for his household is worse than an unbeliever. So if you're neglecting your home in order to give to a church or give to a, a ministry, 
God says that I don't see you in the same, Paul says, I don't see you in the same way as a Christian. I see you as an unbeliever, one who doesn't get it. We must take care of home first. Now, however, some of us, we are giving the bare minimum because we feel that that's all we can afford. But I believe that the truth is we can afford to give more money to God's mission if we learn to manage our money better. The reason some of us give so low to the church is because we don't have a budget and the discipline that it takes in order to to, to be where God wants us to be financially. Some of us say, you know, I give $5 a week and God knows my heart. But when you leave church, you go and spend $40 a week eating out at a restaurant. I'm going to give the guy $5 a week, but I'm going to take my family out for a meal, a nice meal, every week, and spend $40, right? As a result of not disciplining ourselves and planning maybe our lunches for the week or how we're going to buy groceries and spend groceries, as a result of not disciplining ourselves, we're just loosely spending money that could be going towards furthering God's kingdom. Remember, we are an embassy, okay? We're behind enemy territory. We are ambassadors for Jesus. We are on mission to the world with a message, be reconciled to Christ. It's our message. That's what God saved us for, not merely to make it to heaven, but to represent him on the earth and to be used by him to save others. But a lot of times... The kingdom of God is paralyzed or moving very slowly because we as individuals of his kingdom, we just don't budget well, right? Let's be real. We just don't budget well. We're not watching where we're spending our money. You know, it is actually not necessary that you and your children wear name brand clothes every day. It's really not necessary. Like, your child doesn't even know who Ralph Lauren is. That's a shirt and some shorts that they're just going to poop all over and you're going to end up throwing away. So we have to, the word says, be renewed in your mind. You have to be transformed, right? Have to have a, a transformation that has to take place through your mind as you read scripture and see that what God values is not what we value. And you could be able to give more if you were not, and if, and if I were not, uh, at times slaves to keeping up with the Joneses. But what you're doing by buying name brand everything and by trying to make sure little Johnny looks better than all his other classmates and looks like a little model is you are finding your significance in how people look at you and what little Johnny has on. Being a good mother, being a good father does not mean buying the latest George for your children. Being a good mother, being a good father means you steward well what God has given you and you care primarily and first about little Johnny and little Abby's salvation and education in God. So 
So giving according to your means means that you, you have to do the hard work of hard work, come up with a budget and discipline, and we have people here talk to me. Uh, coming up with a budget can be difficult and daunting and overwhelming, and uh, we have people who will love you, um, help you, put in, th- in place the things that need to be in place to get out of debt and to, and to give to God's mission. And, uh, and that's what we all have to do. Me and my wife, we, we had to do that early on in marriage because we were looking like, man, where is our money going? If you don't plan your money and, and how you're going to spend it well, it's just going to magically disappear. All right? Well, not magically. You know what I mean. Next, give sacrificially. Our principles of Christian giving. We want to give according to our means, yet at the same time, we want to have a heart that is willing to sacrifice in giving. The same Macedonians in chapter 8, verse 3, Paul says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. But look, he doesn't stop there. And beyond. You see that? and beyond their means, of their own accord. Being a Christian means that we are overwhelmed at the fact that God sent his son into the world and that Jesus sacrificed his life for us. And that sacrifice makes us change our life's mantra from everyone exists to please me to God saved me and I exist to please him and to serve other people. And we know that the way we do that is in the context of the local church, so we sacrificially give ourselves and give our resources because the sacrifice of Christ overwhelms us. The fact that God forgave us. He forgave us of our trifling sins and forgave us of our deadness and he forgave us for our cosmic treason. He forgave us for giving him the middle finger all of our lives, saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. Get out of here. He forgave us. He didn't require anything but for us to look to his son by faith through grace. And he gave us the faith and the grace that we needed to look to his son. So there's times in a Christian life where I say, wait a minute. This television looks really, really good. 52 inches, $600, I can do it. Then there's times where you come and you hear a sermon and the Lord convicts your heart and you say, sending this brother on a mission trip looks better because lost people may come to know Jesus. And what's the price for a person who was sentenced to hell, being freed from eternal separation to God to eternal joy forever? It is worth more than $600. I watched Peyton Manning on my 32-inch television. Because knowing that someone is going to be saved or have a chance to be saved because of my sacrifice is far better. What I'm talking about is not a secular way of thinking. It's not the worldly way of thinking. Therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the image or the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be duped by the the slithering serpent, Satan, 
Don't let him dupe you into believing that life is about the abundance of possessions. Life is about receiving the joy of the Lord and giving it to others. Oh, they gave sacrificially because the gospel of Jesus weighed on their hearts. Give strategically. Give strategically. Again, this isn't meant to guilt you. You know, I can get passionate talking about stuff, so. Look to Jesus. Give strategically. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. 1 Corinthians 16, I'm sorry, 1 through 2. All right. Beat me there. I'll beat you next time. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there may be no collecting when I come. Paul gives a great principle of giving. And he says he's coming to collect the offering, to, to take back, to relieve people, um, Christians who are in distress. And he says on the first day of every week to set some money aside to give to the Lord. In the book of Deuteronomy, God told Israel, do not come before me empty-handed. When you come before me as a group collectively to worship, have something in your hand because that is a part of worship. And some of us, we get paid different times of the month and it's easier for us, right? Some get paid weekly, so maybe having an offering each week to give and setting that aside is easier than someone who gets paid once a month. And I just want to encourage you to take, whatever, whenever you get paid, to take God's money aside first, the money that you have decided in your heart, Take that aside first. Take that out. And if you get paid weekly, write the check. Put it in your Bible. Set that money aside so that each week you can have an offering to give to the Lord. Be strategic about your giving. Pray. Ask the Lord to give you wisdom and give to the mission, which you, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, as you have decided in your own heart as you have decided in your own heart. Give strategically. Protect what you have set aside for the Lord because the flesh and Satan will, will devour it quickly. You just have to decide. This money is set aside for the Lord and his mission. Give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That means that we are not to give to God like we are giving to the IRS. Okay? Some of us, man, that's how every Sunday is like, I got to give this, right? There are those who give to the Lord because they feel they have to. There are those who give to the Lord because they want to. When we give to the Lord because we have to in all of our hearts, 
are, are tempted in some ways to give to the Lord. Because when we are doing that, it's because we haven't taken time to think about the fact that God owns everything. It's his money anyway. And that God gives generously to us daily and has given the ultimate gift in his son, Jesus Christ. So give cheerfully. One author put it this way. He said, if a pastor got up on Sunday morning and he was to tell the congregation in the vestibule area, there is a leader of, the, of, the, uh, of a big drug cartel, and he has demanded that we give our offering to him this morning, right? That most Christians will give grudgingly because they know that at the end of the service or after the offering is taken, who it's going to. But if the pastor was able to stand up and, able, and this was able to be a reality and say to the church, in the vestibule area is Jesus Christ. And he has showed up physically this morning in order to collect the gifts that you set aside for. How many of you in here will write the biggest check that you could afford? Because you know how much he loves you. We'll be taking off shoes and earrings and watches. Every Sunday when we give, we are giving to God and to his mission. Amen. H, our giving reveals our faith and trustworthiness. Hang on, we're almost there. Our giving reveals our faith and our trustworthiness. In Luke chapter 21, verse 1 through 4, you can go home and read it. It's a story of a, a widow who gave her, her, her very last, and Jesus noticed it. That the Pharisees, they were given all these big dollars and they were rich, they could afford it. But he said, no, this is the woman to emulate because she has given her last. And God is not telling us today to empty our bank account and to give our last. But what Jesus was pointing to was this woman's faith. She gave her last because she believed that God would provide with more. Our giving reveals our level of faith. Our level of faith. I just want to encourage you to give out of faith. There's been months where me and my wife, we'll look at our budget and we're like, man, this is going to be a tight month, or man, we're in the red. And by God's grace, because we were taught Christian giving principles, we both have decided no matter how red it gets, what we have decided together in the beginning of the year, that's where we're going to live. And I cannot tell you how many times the Lord has provided over and over and over again because we simply gave it back to him and said, God, we decided in our hearts that this is what we want to give you and your mission to support your embassy, your kingdom, and we've watched over and over again, month after month, year after year, God provide. And I'm telling you, God is not a respecter of persons. If you budget well, pray and, and give to the mission of the Lord and set aside in your heart that you are going to be giving by faith and you protect the money that you are setting aside that God is going to provide. He will. Giving reveals our faith and it also reveals our trustworthiness. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Have your Bibles. Turn there iPhones, or the big screen, either or do, amen. 
Luke chapter 16. Listen to this. Our giving reveals our trustworthiness. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is dishonest in much. This is Jesus. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Believing that money is going to relieve you and make your life better and give you joy is the root of all evil. Biggie said more money, more problems. He got something right. Because the way our hearts are is shaped with a God-sized hole. The only thing that can fulfill our hearts and satisfy our souls is God. And when we put any counterfeit God in that space, it just rattles around in our heart and it doesn't satisfy. And we go for more and more and more. And before you know it, we're renting a Lamborghini, driving too fast, high and drunk, with a model by our side, trying to find pleasure and trying to find significance because we refuse to submit to the Lord. God says, how can someone trust you if the little he's given you, you're squandering? How can, how can he trust you greater? There's a story that I believe is true of a, of a, a, C, uh, a CEO of a, a major company. And I heard this story a long time ago, and it really touched me and how the CEO was looking to retire. And everybody thought that he was just going to hand it over to the next person in line, but he knew that that person wasn't trustworthy. So there was a younger guy who he'd been watching for a few years and, and thinking about giving it over. But he said, I want to watch him a little closely. So what he would do is every day he would go to their cafeteria, and he would just kind of follow him just to watch how he interacted with others and how he carried himself. And one day while he was in line, he passed up a butter that said 10 cent. And he paid for his entire meal but put the butter in his pocket. The CEO said that day he forfeited being the leader of a billion-dollar company because he wasn't willing to pay 10 cent for butter. How can God entrust us with the true riches of, of getting to be deep and to, to know Jesus and if, if he can't entrust us with little. And we want to look to Jesus, find our joy and our identity in Jesus and be faithful with whatever he has given us. It reveals our trustworthiness. Donna Whitney says this, the use of your money and how you give it is one of the best ways of evaluating your relationship with Christ and your spiritual trustworthiness. If you love Christ with all your heart, your giving will reflect that. If you love Christ and the work of his kingdom more than anything else, your giving will show that. 
if you are truly submitted to the Lordship of Christ, if you are willing to obey him completely in every area of your life, your giving will reveal it. We will do many things before we will give to someone else. Even Christ, the rights over every dollar we have and every dollar we will have. But if you have done that, it will be expressed in your giving. That's why it is said that your checkbook tells more about you than almost anything else. If after your death, a biographer or your children were to scan your council checks for insight into what type of Christian you were, what conclusion would they come to? What would they reveal about your walk with Christ? Would those checks be tangible evidence of your spiritual trustworthiness. Final point. Give and the Lord will give back to you. Give and the Lord will give back to you. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25. In fact, I'm going to go up a little bit. Yeah, I'll go 24. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be waters. One gives freely yet grows the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and he suffers one. Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 10, says these words. He talks about the tithe. The tithe in the Old Testament was a law, and the New Testament is not mentioned. I think it's just a good principle. It means that you give 10% of your earnings. Set that as a goal to give to the Lord. It's a good goal. If you have decided that in your heart, and that's what you want to if, if that's what you trust God to do. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now we see these principles in the Old Testament, God telling Israel, if you give, I will give it back to you and I will bless you. Now you say, well, that's the Old Testament, Pastor. That's not a regulative principle for New Testament believers. Well, Paul seems to think so as he picks that up in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And this is on giving. Look at what he says. The point is this. He's been talking for two chapters about giving. He says, the point is this. This is what I'm saying. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Those who give generously and freely to the kingdom of God is those who are going to receive generous and kingdom blessings from the Lord. Now let's balance that out because some of you are really nervous right now and we need to qualify everything, right? Even though Paul doesn't qualify it, I'm going to qualify it for you, okay? This text does not tell you that if you give to the Lord, God is going to give you 
it back right away. The principle of seed, time, and harvest. You sow, you may have to wait, but it is a declaration that God is going to return and be generous towards you. It doesn't say the amount. It doesn't say that he's going to double it. You sow a seed of 100, he's going to give you back 1,000. That's demonic. That's unspiritual. That's unfounded in Scripture. I can't say that. But what I can say is he said, if you are living with a generous heart that seeks to be about his kingdom, Matthew 6, and his righteousness, that he in return will be generous to you on his timetable because he's God and because he owns everything. And for some, that may mean that they won't see it in this lifetime. It may mean that you see it when you get to heaven. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure where rust and moth may destroy it, but lay up your treasures in heaven where neither rust nor moth will corrupt or will destroy. As we are giving and working to the Lord, and we're not working for our salvation, we're working from our salvation. We're not saved by our works, we're saved by his works. But as we are working for the Lord, the Bible says that one day he is going to reward us. All right, if Hebrews said he rewards those who seek him diligently. He rewards us. But I declare from a personal testimony that by giving to the Lord, and sometimes it's crazy, and I'm not saying this as a, a man who is often a man of faith, I'm saying this as a man who is weak and, and sometimes who is faithless, sometimes who needs that nudge for his wife and say, give it, God to give it back. And sometimes he needs that, that nudge from me, sweetie. We're going to give it, and he'll give it back. And he may not give it back in monetary blessings, but he may give it some other way. Or he may give it by providing it from the household of faith, unexpected. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And oh, by the way, right before that, the writer of Proverbs is talking about giving. The Lord will give it back. My conclusion. I want to encourage you, just like Paul encouraged the church at Corinth, to grow in your giving. Grow in your giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Listen to what he said. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, and in knowledge, in all earnestly and in all and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What is he talking about in context? Giving. Just as you are seeking to grow in your faith, seeking to grow in God's word, he says seek to grow in giving. In giving. And what is the motivation behind our growth in giving? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, though he was rich, though he was in heaven, enjoying the worship of angels and those who have went before us, though he was rich in heaven, he became poor, he became a human being, 
He gave up the luxuries of heaven and stepped into a broken and fallen world in order that by his poverty, in order that by his sacrifice, by his incarnation, we, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, we may become rich. That we may be benefits of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Benefits of the grace that he has lavished upon us. That picture of selfless giving is what motivates us. Are you willing to become a little less comfortable in your home, in your car, with your luxuries, so that God's name would be magnified and glorified in other ways? Are you willing to make that sacrifice knowing that Christ has sacrificed for you? That's the question. That's the question. Let's go back to the graph real quick. Notice on the graph, you'll see over here to, our, to, to my left and your right, it says if everyone increases giving, and then it has an amount, and it just showed if, if everyone in our, our congregation increased giving by a certain amount, what that impact will be on us for the year. If everyone in our congregation increased giving by $1 extra a week, at the end of the year, we will have $8,732 more than last year. If everyone increased by $2 a, a week, we will have $17,472 by the end of the year extra. If everyone increased by $3 a week, so forth, $26,000, $4,000, $34,000, $5,000, $43,000, eighty. Seven thousand. You hear that? Wow. This will be a church that will be able to meet even more needs than we're already meeting. If we took it upon ourselves individually to just do a little more each week. So I want to encourage you to go home and to pray about where you're giving and to look and say, Lord, how can I increase in my giving? Where can I step it up? How much money a week can I give more for the glory of God? And maybe that's $1. That's a start. But maybe for some of you that's $10. Whatever the Lord puts upon your heart, just, just do it. Just do it. Now, some of us, we have misconceptions, and we say, well, since I don't like what's going on at this church, or I don't agree with some area, I'm going to withhold my money. And I want to tell you that you're, you're missing the heart of God. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, God is constantly pointing to Israel to repent for breaking the Sabbath and for not being generous in gifts. And in many places where he tells them to repent from not giving, the priests were wicked. The fact of the matter is, is that we're not giving to the priests. We're giving to God. 
We're giving to God. We're giving to him by faith, saying, I'm sowing this into your kingdom, and if it's being misappropriated, you're going to deal with the people. Praise God, as this church, we get to come together for our members' meetings. We get to see exactly how every money is spent. You get to come to your pastors and your deacons if you have a concern and, and voice that opinion. What we want to do with an increase is simple. We want to serve this city better. We want to serve our staff better. We want to serve you better. So let's look at our hearts and see how to give. Second Corinthians 8.5, I know it's just, keep doing it to you, it says these words. Second Corinthians 8.5. Listen to this. What was the key behind the Macedonians giving? We know that they gave sacrificially. They gave even above their means. They gave their means. They gave even though they were extremely poor. What was the secret? We talked about how it was the cross, but look at verse number 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Maybe the reason you have a hard time giving to the mission of God is because you haven't given yourself to the Lord. Maybe being missional and giving to missions and giving so that the church can reach the community is very small on your list because God is very small on your list. Maybe. So let's search our hearts and make sure that his kingdom is first on our list. And if that is the case, that's okay. God, the Bible says that God loves you and he, he is ready for you to return to him, to put your faith and trust in him. But just examine your own heart and see where you are. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you. We're going to take up offering soon for, for this, today and for this service. I want to encourage you to not give. We are more concerned about you giving your heart to Jesus than we are about you giving money to support his mission. I want you to relax, to receive the rest of the service, because we are concerned about your soul. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for these, your people, and I thank you for uh, your word, which continues to convict and encourage us to grow. Give us the grace to grow. Give us the grace to not be a hearer of your word, to be a doer. Pray for my own sinful heart, Lord, who um, at times can, can be worldly and, and want things for the sake of having things that you will help my wife and I to continue to grow and to continue to give. I pray, Father God, for every member, Lord, that you will search our hearts, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us as leaders wisdom on how to appropriate each fund. I pray, Father God, that today, Lord, will be the day of salvation for someone, and that they would come to know you as Savior and King. In Jesus' name, amen.